If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I am your host, Jacob Winograd. So in this episode, we're going to dive back into the topic of dispensationalism versus covenant theology. This topic is going to lead us into pivotal questions that shape our understanding of the scriptures. What is the true nature of the covenants mentioned in the Bible? How do we interpret the complex relationship between Israel, the church, and the Gentiles? And maybe most crucially, what does the Bible really teach us about the intersection of faith, biblical prophecy, and the role of the church in our modern world? This is going to be part of a longer multi-part series because this topic is too vast to condense into just one or two episodes. So to start, this episode will be the first of two addressing the following question. Who is Israel? Is there only one Israel? Or does the Bible speak to more than one group of people or even individuals who bear that name? To answer this, we're going to dissect key passages from the book of Romans. We're going to explore the entirety of Romans 9 through 11 and read Paul's teachings and their implications for our understanding of Israel's role in God's plan. Does God make covenants and break them? Does he make multiple simultaneous covenants? Or does God have one redemptive plan that he has been working out since the garden? Listen to this episode to find out. So I got a lot that I got to try to cover in today's episode. And so I don't want to spend too much time in introductions. For this episode, we're continuing to talk about dispensationalist theology. So I had an episode a little while back on this, and I talked about covenant theology or fulfillment theology. And that is what I believe is the biblical view of the different covenants in the Bible and how we view Israel, how we look forward to what is going to happen in the future. I talked about dispensationalism a little bit and that one of the claims that dispensationalist theology has is, you know, it's a sort of dual covenant theology, or the, although really a lot of dispensationalists think that there are three gospels and, and so we're getting into a little muddy territory there in terms of you know, how many covenants there'll be. But they think that there is essentially something different for the Jews than there are for the Gentiles or for the church, so to speak. And they label the view that I hold covenant theology as replacement theology. So that episode focused on that topic specifically and focused on it in a way where I tried to give 
a strong defense of covenant theology. And so I used a lot of different, you know, I did like a holistic approach going through the New Testament, looking at different writings from Paul in Romans and Galatians, looking at things Jesus said, and then seeing how this traces back to what the Old Testament says as well regarding the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic law or Mosaic covenant, and looking forward to the new covenant that was spoken of. So in that episode, I mentioned that dispensationalism is a little bit hard to talk about. and We're going to have to do several episodes on it because there are many aspects of dispensationalism that are pertaining to covenant theology. There are many elements of it that are more eschatological in nature. There are even parts of it that are more just about how we interpret the Bible and how we read the Bible. And so we're talking about biblical models of systematic theology or of interpretation, biblical epistemology, or what have you. We could label it a few different ways. And so none of these episodes are going to be like standalone blows, death blows to every claim. Part of the problem is that there's different types of dispensationalist theology, right? They don't all agree with each other, even though it's a relatively new phenomenon in the world of Christianity in terms of the dispensationalist theology and Christian Zionism. There's many different schools and it is still in this present day evolving. And so just keep that in mind when you're listening to this episode. There's no way I'm going to be able to cover everything. No matter what side of this you're on, some of you are going to, you know, those who are on my side will be like, oh, you forgot to bring this up. And if you're a dispensationalist yourself, you might be like, oh, but you didn't address this, this, and this. And, you know, so just keep in mind, there's only so much we can cover on every particular episode. But I hope over the course of the coming months, I do a good job at steelmanning what dispensationalists believe and addressing those beliefs in a way that going to be attacking it from the scriptures and trying to be logically consistent in doing so. So with that said, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about covenants this week. And the reason for that is because I, I, I want to, it's not even strictly about covenants, right? This is going to be sort of a transition into future episodes. So I, I am going to here soon be getting more into the eschatology that dispensationalists use. But before I can get there, I feel like I need to talk a little bit more about the covenants and I need to talk more about Israel. And part of the problem is that we have disagreements over what Israel is and defining that and then also defining the ministries of Paul and Jesus. Many dispensationalists believe that Paul had a different ministry than Jesus and the apostles. And that will go as far as to say that these are even different gospels that are being spoken of. And although I'm not going to be able to cover all of that by any means in this episode, I will bring up some of the passages that the dispensationalists use when they are talking about this. So there is a passage in Matthew 15. And in this passage, we have a Canaanite woman and she comes. So this is like after Jesus had been speaking to a crowd of people and actually just right after the feeding of the 5,000. 
and healings were performed. And so Jesus is then walking through an area that is very much filled with, I guess you call them Canaanites or Gentiles, non-Jews. And so this is the context there. When Jesus left there, he withdrew. This is picking up in Matthew 15, verse 21, sorry. He withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, send her away from us because she's crying after us. He replied, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered, it isn't right to take from the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. What dispensationalists get from here is in verse 24, where he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They take this as one of the proof texts for that Jesus' ministry was for the Jews. And they use other passages from later on in Paul's ministry where he says things like, I am a apostle for the Gentiles or I'm a minister for the Gentiles or something like that. And they try to make it as if these are two different gospels that are being spoken of here. I would disagree with that. I think rather we're talking about that Jesus's ministry was to the Jews first, but it was also to the Gentiles. I think Paul, although he was a, you know, he was a Jew, I do think that he was called more to the Gentiles, although he would also talk you know, about things regarding the Jews as well. So I think it's wrong to, as the dispensationalists like to talk about, that's the wrong way to divide scripture. (laughs) That's something dispensationalists like to say is that you have to rightly divide. They think that means that we have to divide scripture into what's for the Jews and what for the Gentiles. I think that is wrong. I think that dividing scripture means to rightly divide it means just sound biblical interpretation, exegesis, and reading what the text says. And I think the warning there actually would speak against dispensationalism, which wrongfully blocks up scripture and compartmentalizes it into these weird sections that it was never meant to be divided into. So then how we're going to get to Romans here, because another passage that comes up is in Romans and in the chapter nine. And although I did read, sorry, not chapter nine, chapter 11, I did read this in the other episode that I started to talk about dispensationalism in. And so we will read in Romans 11, and this will be in verse 26. It says, well, actually we should start in verse 25. So I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. So they believe that this is, again, more evidence to the fact that in most (laughs) dispensationalist beliefs, they think that the covenant that was made with the Jewish people was still in effect, that there was a partial temporary hardening 
of the Jews at the end of the age that they will be fully saved because God cannot break his promises to the Jewish people. And they back this up with many things, but this verse being one of them. And if someone tries to say, oh, well, this doesn't mean Israel like the nation of Israel in an earthly sense, but rather this is the entire like elect or the bride of Christ, the new Israel will be saved. They would say, well, there is no instance in the New Testament where Jesus or Paul used the word Israel and it means anything other than ethnic, you know, Israel or the nation of Israel in that traditional ancient sense. And so those are two claims that we need to dive into. To do that, I want to go back to Romans 9 and I want to start there. I want to go through and count all these mentions of the word Israel or the word Jew, or if there's like a pronoun that's being used to refer to Israel or Jew. And I, we're going to kind of go in chronological order here. And I'm going to, it's going to be building a case. We're going to be building a case that talks about, is there more than one Israel? And will all Israel be saved? And this is important. Again, this is, I think, a transition between the last episode and getting into matters of eschatology. Because this is briefly touching on it, right? I mean, eschatology deals with the end of days. And we're talking about like things like the final judgment, things about the perseverance of the saints, you know, election, salvation, those things are eschatological or touch eschatological matters. And we're not going to be able to get eschatology right if we don't have soteriology right in terms of who is saved and who is the elect. And we're not going to be able to have a proper eschatology if we don't have a proper understanding of who Israel is and who the church is. And so we need to settle that. And then once we've settled that, we can then, I think, dive fully into all of the premillennialism and and eschatology and interpretation of prophecy. We'll have to get into interpretation of prophecy regarding Israel, right? Because that's a claim that dispensationalists have is that not all of the prophecies concerning Israel have been fulfilled. But again, that's why we need to first define Israel. And is there only one Israel or is there more than one? So we're going to start in Romans 9 verse four, and bear with me here because I have a lot of notes. And so there's no perfect way to go about conducting this. I will be sometimes referencing the original language, like in the Greek, if I'm here in Romans nine, or going back and looking at Hebrew in the Old Testament. And I'm, I'm reading from the English standard version, which I have here on this paper. And then I also have my hard copy Bible here, which is a the Christian standard Bible translation. And these translations juxtapose pretty nicely. And so that's why I have them both here because there are some passages that I think ESV is sometimes I find to be a pretty good base translation to talk from, but that sometimes the ESV will translate things in a very particular way that is, I don't know, <laughs> a little bit ambiguous in terms of the wording. And so going to a different translation can sometimes be a little bit more helpful. So we will then start here in Romans 9, 
it begins with Paul saying that he's speaking the truth in Christ and he's not lying and that he wants to, you know, he would cut himself off for, for the Jewish people. He has great sorrow and, and unceasing anguish in his heart. He weeps for his brothers, the kinsmen, according to the flesh. And then picking up in verse four, then they are the Israelites. So this is our first reference to Israel or, or Jews, right? So that's reference number one. And so then we have to ask ourselves, you know, we're going to kind of do this as we're reading through here. How are we defining these different instances? And are they all referring to ethnic Israel? Now, I think in this instance, it is pretty clear that this reference is absolutely a reference to the ethnic Jews, the Hebrew people, the, the 12 tribes, because he goes on to explain that they are the ones who received the covenants, the laws, the promises, and that from them and their race comes Christ, according to the flesh, who is God overall. Such an important thing here, but we're getting from this. That is in verse 5, according to the flesh, and from them is the Christ, who is God overall. So Christ is Lord of all. So we need to, if at any point we're not making Christ the Lord overall, we're going to have a problem. Continue on then into verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So we have in one breath here, two mentions of the word Israel. So we need to dive in here and figure out what is going on here. So not all descended from Israel belong to Israel. So there's two Israels here. So when we're reading this, and he's saying descended from Israel, well, if you're descended from Israel, this Israel has to refer to the historic earthly nation of Israel, meaning the ethnic or blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob who had his name changed to Israel, right? So that's the first one. That seems pretty clear. If you're descended from Israel, you are a Israelite in the ethnic sense. But then it says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, which again, this can be confusing. It'd be like, well, not, you know, my last name was Winograd. It was like, well, not all of the Winograds in my household are of the Winograd household. You know what I mean? Like it, it seems like, what? So we have to try to figure out what this means. If we define this second Israel the same as the above, we have an incomprehensible statement from Paul, right? You can't say not all ethnic Jews are ethnic Jews. That's just an impossibility. So that cannot be what Paul is saying here. There has to be something else Paul means by this second Israel. That So not all the ethnic Israelites belong to this second Israel. And so we're going to have to continue reading to try to figure out what this means. Now, but it's a different Israel. So we already, from the get-go here, according to verse six, there are more than one Israel. We don't know what that second Israel is yet though. So let's keep reading. I hope that you are enjoying this episode. As always, I just wanted to remind you that this episode is produced by the Libertarian Christian Institute, who is a nonprofit. And as a nonprofit, we rely on listeners like you 
to become donors. Whether that's one time, and if you're able to make a one-time donation of a dollar or two dollars, if you are enjoying what you're listening to and you want to hear more of it, we super appreciate that. Also, if you want to, I've mentioned it before, if you donate $10 or more a month, if you want to sign up for that, you can become an LCI insider. And that comes with so many perks that I honestly forget what they all are every time I go to record this little plea for you guys to sign up. I know off the top of my head that you can join monthly or semi-monthly donor meetings or insider meetings where you get to talk to people like me and Doug and Kerry Baldwin and Norman Horn and others at the Institute. You get access to free eBooks and to new merchandise and new books and new things that we're releasing. As the Institute, we're always generating new content in different forms. There's so many things. If you go to libertarianchristians.com or go to biblicalanarchypodcast.com and look for the donate button, you'll be brought to that. You can sign up to be a monthly donor and then find out more. So that's all. Now let's get back to the episode. Verse 7 continues in the same thought. So it's like it's all in one sentence, right? For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And then verse 7, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, this can be a little tricky in different translations and in the ESV because, you know, we're like, well, what's the difference between child and offspring? And people can get caught up on that in terms of the, you know, what is he trying to get at here? This is where I think, switching to the Christian standard version, the way they translate it here, I think, gets to the meaning a little bit more clearly says, neither are all of Abraham's children his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring shall be traced, or sometimes translated as called, through Isaac. So, what does that mean? That means that we don't look at all of Abraham's ethnic descendants and say that they are his offspring. Rather, we look at Isaac's descendants and say that from them are called his offspring. And why is that, right? Let's keep reading because it says, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And in verse eight, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I hated. So the context here is that the child of the promise was not Ishmael, it was Isaac. And so it is not all of Abraham's ethnic descendants that are counted as Israel. So if Paul's just saying, well, we're only counting Isaac's descendants as Israel, and that's what verse six was talking about, because not all descendants from Israel belong to Israel, well, I don't think that's right because you could have just said, well, everyone descended from Jacob or Israel from Israel. But the promise was to Abraham. And the point that Paul is trying to 
demonstrate here is that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. It is the children of promise who were counted as offspring, as it says in verse eight. And we see the same principles at play then in what I just read in the promise or in God's choosing, not being based on flesh, that is at play with Jacob and Esau because the older serve the younger. So we see God's sovereignty in whom he chooses and we see that it is not, you know, God is constantly, and we're going to continue to read references to this, but God is constantly subverting the human expectation that he's some respecter of persons or ethnicity or, you know, some kind of like human lineage. God's changed that numerous times. We're going to read more about that later on. So keep that in mind. So Paul goes on here to defend God's sovereignty and election, and he's explaining God's, the salvation of man does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who has mercy on whom he chooses. And then the question is asked, why does he still find fault? And then the answer is, who are you a man to answer back to God? We get to Romans 9, 24. Okay, so in Romans 9, we're actually going to start in 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So here we have our third reference to Jews or Israel or something to that effect. So what is this third reference here? Well, the Jews here is being juxtaposed with the Gentiles. So that would refer to the ethnic Jews and Hebrews. But what is he saying? Let's read this and comprehend what he's trying to say here. He's saying that those who were called are not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. But wait, why are not all Jews called? Because if the dispensationalist model is true, the Jews are just a chosen people, and then some of the Gentiles are called. But here he would, you know, there seems to be an implying that the Jews and the Gentiles are on the same playing field. They're being mentioned in the same breath. But let's keep reading. In verse 25, As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And then in verse 27, and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. So here we are, mention number four. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. So in Romans 9.27, concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel, so this is references four and five, and both of them are referring to the 12 tribes, where it says only a remnant, a remnant of them will be saved. And it mentions, it goes out of its way here to what Paul is saying to say how many of them there are, right? Though And he's quoting from Isaiah, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Now, this was potentially referring to Jewish exile and saying that they were not all going to survive it. But Paul is obviously quoting this to drive at some greater point as if to draw a parallel that 
there is a large number of those who are ethnic Jews. And just as in the past, they aren't all saved. In the future, that might be the case as well. Might be what might one take from this. So that's four and five. And so far, to the dispensationalist credit, a lot of these references are of ethnic Jews and the, the nation, the ancient nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. But remember, we just keep in mind, they said it was all of them. There's not one reference of Israel that isn't ethnic Israel, but we still have Romans 9 verse 6, where clearly there were two Israels, one that's the ethnic ones, but it said not all the ethnic ones belong to that second one, which we are still on the search for defining what that is. So we will continue reading into verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness, who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. And that is a righteousness that is by faith. Hmm. And then we go to 931. But that Israel, here's reference six, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's obviously Jesus Christ, as I said in the previous episode. He is the stumbling stone of the Jews. Now it says here that Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness and they did not succeed. He said this right after he said the Gentiles, who they did not pursue righteousness, but they obtained it by faith. So we have another juxtaposition here between the Jews and the Gentiles. So that Israel, which pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed in doing it because it wasn't by faith. This Israel here in 931, it is again referring to the earthly nation of Israel and they have stumbled over the stone of stumbling, which is Christ. Now, a lot of this I did talk about in the last episode, but I didn't go through it quite in this much detail. But now we're going into Romans 10. So we're going to be going into some newer territory here and continuing to count these references of Israel. So in Romans 10.1, it says, Paul desires for them is that they be saved. Well, who is them in this case, this pronoun? Well, going back to the beginning of Romans and throughout here in Romans 9, his Jewish brothers and sisters according to the flesh, as he was lamenting about. And he says that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And they pursued to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to God's righteousness. And says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 5, chapter 10, it says, whoever does the commandments lives by them. Righteousness by the law ends in death by the law. Righteousness by faith saves. Confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It's funny here, he's talking about the Jews not pursuing righteousness. And then he's saying that if you live by the commandments, you will die by them, but that righteousness by faith saves. And he doesn't say only saves the Gentiles. He doesn't say that there are some who are in a gospel of works and faith and others who are just in a gospel of faith. Again, that's the dispensationalists believe that the Jews are in a gospel of 
works and faith and that the Gentiles are just a gospel of faith. But that's not what it really says here. It says Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. It doesn't say just the, the Gentile or just the Greek for everyone who believes. And he's been going out of his way to juxtapose the Gentiles and the Jews together and saying the Jews did not obtain righteousness and saying you cannot obtain righteousness through the law. And then see in verse 10 here, with our hearts we believe and are justified and with our mouths we confess. And everyone who does that will be saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For, what does it say in verse 12? For there is no distinction between our eighth now count of Jew or Hebrew or Israel. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Everyone, and again, in this instance, Jew is, you know, being juxtaposed with Greek. So it's obviously ethnic Jews. And he's saying, it doesn't matter. Christ is Lord of all. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jews and non-Jews are the same in this regard. So the Jews are not held to a covenant of works. If the Jews call on the name, this is not replacement theology or a anti-Semitic theology. It's good news. It's the good news for the Gentiles and for the Jews. That if you call on the name of the Lord, if you have faith in Christ and believe and profess him to be Savior and Lord, you will be saved. How can those who do not believe in him call on him? You can't call on him if you do not believe. An emphasis is being placed here on, as we continue to read through the rest or what's following here, in Romans 10, is that how can, in verse 14, how will they call on him if, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without some preaching? And so how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul is calling on us, calling on those he's writing to, go out and preach the gospel. And he's not saying just preach it to the Gentiles. He's not saying the Jews don't need this. It seems pretty clear. Everyone needs the good news of Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, right? I mean, (laughs) you guys can follow along here. I'm not skipping over anything. You know, there's not like hidden sentences here. We're like, oh, except the Jew, except the, I'm not skipping over all the, oh, except the Jews part, right? No, it's, that's not there. Going to verse 19, we get to our next reference of Israel. Israel didn't understand Christ. And the Gentiles coming to faith in him will make Israel jealous. This is what it's saying here in verse 19 of chapter 10. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And Isaiah is so bold as to say, in verse 20, then I have been found by those who did not seek me and I've showed myself to those who did not ask for me. And then the 10th reference, but of Israel, he says all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We have references nine and 10 there. So Israel did not understand the Christ and the Gentiles coming to faith in him will make Israel jealous So this is, again, the ethnic Jews, the 12 tribes 
the nation. And then in verse 21, you know, of Israel, he held his hands out, you know, to a disobedient people. That is, again, the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. So this is important that this is leading into Romans 11. This is where we're going to get to the verse that I started out with the beginning, that the dispensationalists, you know, say, well, you know, and just like, does that make sense? Like, I haven't even gotten there yet, but just think of what we've read in chapters 9 and 10. And do you think that like Paul's going to do a 180 by the end of this chapter and be like, just kidding, guys, the Jews are all going to be saved just because they're Jews. Like, it's just automatic. They don't have to do anything. It's just the Jews are, you know, whether it's the Jews are just automatically saved because they're Jewish or the Jews have a different gospel and they'll be saved, but they can only be saved by works and by faith together. They have to have faith and also obey the law. And there's a different gospel at play. Have you gotten that? Again, I'm not skipping over anything here. This is the entirety of Romans 9, Romans 10. If someone thinks I skipped over something important, you know, call me out on it. But uh, there's nothing in my Bible that's uh, matching up with what the dispensationalists are claiming so far. Let's get into chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Who are his people? That's a question I have to keep in mind, right? Has God rejected his people? So ask yourselves, who are his people? Let's keep reading. By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. So in this case, Israelite, he's defining as a descendant of Abraham. Note, he does not define Israelite here as a descendant of Isaac, but we know from, we read at the beginning of Romans 9, that the true descendants of Abraham are the children of the promise, right? So those who are descended or called through the line of Isaac. So we know that's important, right? Now, but we do know when he, in this reference here, Israelite does mean his national or ethnic identity. So let's keep reading. God has not, in verse two, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and they have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by works. Wait, nope, that's not what it says. Chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer by the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So God has not rejected his people, including those who are of ethnic Israel, whom he foreknew. And he gives an example of Elijah when he was appealing to God against the Israelites who have rejected God. And God says that there is a remnant that he has preserved for himself. And this is, again, kind of what was referenced back in Romans 9 concerning Israel, when he says that only a remnant was in, I think in verse 27, that only a remnant of them will be saved. And so we see here that is repeated. It's not all the Jews who are saved. It says a remnant will be saved. And it will not be by works, This remnant is chosen by grace. And so it cannot be by works or otherwise it would not be by grace. So the Jews are saved by grace and the Gentiles are saved by grace. So what's the difference between the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the Greek? I mean, even if we hadn't read, what did it say back in chapter 10? 
right? In chapter 10, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That was verse 12. And here we're seeing that that has, I mean, I think this entire way through, they're being juxtaposed, but in terms of how they reach salvation, we haven't seen different criteria be laid out yet. For the Jew or the Greek, they are the same. So picking up in 11 verse 7, what then? Israel, so this is the uh, 13th reference. By the way, the, 12, the 11th and the 12th, the 11th were, you know, God has rejected his people and the 11th reference there. I would have to say in this case, I skipped over this, this is important. When he says, has God rejected his people? Who are his people? Remember, it, you know, Israel isn't the children of the flesh, but the children of the promise. So, I mean, can I, you know, we're not done yet, but I would strongly suggest that there's a case to be made here that when it says his people, we can't just automatically read that as that's Israel as in the nation. He's saying his people. If he wanted to say Israel, he could have just said Israel. Now he does go down to say, I am an Israelite, but then he follows it up by saying, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So I would say that going to what we already read in chapters 9 through 10, he is talking about the children of the promise more likely here than the children of the flesh. And in uh, verse 7, we'll pick this back up. So, sorry, I skipped over the 11th there. So we have the 11th, the 12th. Now the 13th reference, what then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. So this 13th reference here, this is, you know, greater Israel or the ethnic nation of Israel. You know, the the Jews failed to obtain what they were seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So the elect being that remnant who were chosen by grace. All right, everyone, that is all for this episode. Again, this is the first of two parts, right? So make sure that you tune in for next week's episode where I will finish out this exploring of Romans 9 through 11 and trying to suss out what all these different references to Israel mean and answering that question of, is there more than one Israel and what are the implications thereof in these passages of Romans that we are reading. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I hope you're looking forward to the next one. And that's all I have for you guys for today, but we will be talking to you again soon. So take care. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.